super exciting as well in the 1850s when you had cholera. There was this, this study that was conducted in Paris where these workers in a sort of in a copper smelter, um, you know, they, they worked in heat and chemicals um, to extract copper, right? And these were extremely poor working conditions. Usually mortality rates, you know, were extremely high in these places. However, when cholera broke out um, in like between 1830 and 1850, all of the 200 employees survived. Like it was basically, they were immune. Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world. With your hosts, David Ye and Puneet Upadhyay. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSC company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles. So you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey everyone, we are excited to welcome today's guest, Melina Gertz, CEO and co-owner of Q Concepts, a biotech company battling the threat of infectious diseases, especially those transmitted via contaminated surfaces. Leveraging her master's in strategy and innovation management and industry experience as a management consultant for industrial fields like plastic processing, she's in charge of making sure Q Concepts is on a track to achieve its goals, which are all circled around innovating the design of surface technology by giving it antimicrobial properties. Q Concepts has developed a highly efficient nature-based antimicrobial additive that can be integrated into plastic processing, textiles, paints, and coatings, which we're excited to dive into today. Thank you so much for joining us, Melita. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we wanted to start out with kind of the motivation behind these antimicrobial materials and, and their potential in, in our future. So the World Health Organization classified antibiotic resistance as a silent pandemic. You actually told us this, so this was kind of news to us, but we were just wondering, so what are the limitations of antibiotics and what consequences could we face as a society if solutions aren't developed to address these limitations? Uh, I'm sure it's not only news to you, Puneeth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most people are not really aware of this issue. So I'll give you like a quick back uh, background on antibiotics to kind of explain um, your the answer to your question. So um, antibiotics sort of they actually came about with the invention of penicillin by this guy called Alexander Fleming in the 1920s in London. And he was sort of described as a bit of a careless lab technician. Um, and, you know, one day he went on holiday and he returned two weeks later and found that mold had developed on an accidentally contaminated petri dish of staphylococcus culture, so bacteria. And the mold prevented the growth of the staphylococci because basically it produced like a self-defense chemical that can kill bacteria. And that's kind of how antibiotics were born. So they were introduced in the market in the sort of late 1920s, early 1930s. And the first cases of antibiotic resistance um, actually started piling up in the late 80s, let's say early 90s. Antibiotic resistance happens when you know, germs like bacteria um, and fungi develop the ability to actually defeat the drugs that are designed to kill them. So that means the germs are not killed <laughs> and they do continue to grow. Um, this occurs naturally, so processes of mutation, like gene mutation, 
However, misuse and sort of the overuse of antibiotics in humans, but also in animals um, is really accelerating the process. So, you know, for example, you go to hospital because you broke your leg or maybe you have COVID-19 and it's quite likely that you will be prescribed antibiotics, even though, you know, you, you haven't actually been tested positive for a bacteria infection. It's just like a prophylactic use of antibiotics. So basically just in case, you know, <laughs> to prevent that you would get an infection. So this is sort of a huge problem. And yeah, with regards to animals, antibiotics are a form of disease control also for growth because of sort of this hormonal growth aspect, but mainly disease control um, because it allows farmers to, you know, increase the animal per the animal count per square meter. So, you know, humans are consuming the milk and uh, the meat and the eggs, which actually is leading to cross resistance of antibiotics. So basically antibiotics and animal feed are making human medicine, like are making the bacteria um, resistant to human medicine. So that's like a huge problem. Yeah, so overall the, the resistance is actually rising to a really dangerously high level um, across the entire world. So today, you know, it's killing more people than HIV, than malaria. You have, I think almost, if I'm not mistaken, 3 million antibiotic resistant infections in the US alone every year. Um, and you have a bunch of sort of new resistance mechanisms that are emerging and that are actually like threatening our ability to treat common infectious diseases, you know, because anyone can get it across all age groups. Um, you have a growing number of infections of like pneumonia, tuberculosis, gonorrhea, salmonellosis, you know, all these fun <laughs> diseases nobody wants. And it's actually becoming extremely hard um, and sometimes impossible now to treat them because the antibiotics are just becoming less effective, you know? And so without urgent action, we are kind of heading for a, let's say, post-antibiotic era in which common infections and minor injuries can once again technically cause deaths. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And so the World Health Organization actually expects like around 10 million deaths per year related to antimicrobial resistance by the year 2050. And that's really not far away. And so, yeah, it's important that that we we tackle this. Exactly. So yeah, I, I think you did a great job illuminating why like overuse of antibiotics is leading to these resistant strains. Uh, is there any figures or anything at all where it kind of gives us a timeline for like the most common penicillin or the most common antibiotics that we use today will no longer be useful by that 2050 mark? Or is it a much tighter timeline and we can just pivot to other antibiotics for right now? I mean, that is a very difficult question, mainly because it's not that easy to predict. It also depends on where in the world you're doing, let's say, the, this analysis, because in, let's say, less developed countries, the amount of antibiotics prescribed are different than in, in Western, let's say, or developed countries. So there is a list called the escape list with a K, escape, which is a, a list actually of the most yeah, dangerous bacteria that are, are growing more and more resistant to, to antibiotics. But like to give you a proper statistic would, yeah, wouldn't really be that, uh, it, it's not, it's not a sure thing, let's say. <laughs> well, in previous episodes, we have alluded to the fact that copper has great antimicrobial properties. 
And this is kind of where you guys come in, but what mechanism does copper use to attack microbes and how can it be incorporated into other material systems where antimicrobial properties are needed? Yeah, I mean, copper honestly is amazing. It's a very cool um, metal. Basically, copper oxidizes, right? And releases copper ions. And this basically weakens the bacteria. So these like oxidizing copper atoms like weaken the bacteria because they kind of pull these electrons from the atoms that make up the cell wall. And so it's just kind of like pulling bricks from the wall. Um, eventually the cell wall breaks, right? And then the general cell is destroyed. So also the DNA and RNA in the cell nucleus, which is extremely important because um, if that would survive, then it would be able to mutate. So essentially, um, microbes cannot actually become resistant to copper because of this mechanism. And yeah, the, the fun thing is now, you know, how can you actually apply this to other materials, right? So our, our technology is copper. It's basically a copper-based additive. So you can imagine this kind of powder that has copper ions in it, right? And this powder can be integrated um, into manufacturing processes, uh, as you already mentioned previously, like polymer processing, uh, textiles, uh, and paints and coatings. So imagine you want to make, you know, a phone case antimicrobial, for example. Let's say you, you want to use TPU or PC or something. And we would basically make a master batch, right, or compound. Not sure if I should explain this, but basically it's just the plastic granules you know, that are, that are put into the processing machines that are then heated up, melted, and then, for example, injected uh, into a, a mold, an injection molding. And this contains our additive, right? So it can be processed at up to, you know, let's say 200 to 250 degrees. And so the final product, this phone case will actually be antimicrobial. So, you know, next time you wash your hands and then you reach for your phone, your phone will actually be clean instead of you know touching a dirty phone again so just as a as a as a use case example interesting so what would you say is like the most common surfaces is it that phone phone case where like these um, bacteria could be transferred or public transportation or, or something else um to be honest with you i used the phone case as an example because it was our very first product the key case. <laughs> <laughs> um and so yeah it's an easy example but I mean, phone cases are, or your phones in general, are, I think, 17 times dirtier than a public toilet seat on average. That's like a fun little statistic. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, you'd think, since it's your personal device, you know, like, no, nobody else is touching it. However, you are touching so many things during the day, and then you retouch your your mobile device, and then you touch your face, and, you know, so this actually is a very big source say of potential infections but at the end of the day it is more public areas you know like public transport airports just sort of even hospitals you know areas where you just have um, a lot of people touching door handles you know touching elevator buttons that kind of thing because actually 80 percent of infections uh, are transmitted via touch so this is like a statistic from the world world uh, health organization and I mean, even if you have something like, um, I guess, COVID-19, you know, which is said to spread mainly through aerosols, even those at some point, they fly through the air, right? And they maybe land on some, like on a door handle or something. So if you touch that, then that is how you would contract an, an infection, definitely. 
it's just making me like more cognizant of like everything that I've been doing over the past weekend. So good to keep in mind. Obviously, we'll make sure to continue to wash my hands. I think we should definitely focus on like the material solutions that could play a role here. And so oftentimes just in general, new solutions to existing problems take inspiration from, from our past. And in a previous call, you talked about kind of the history of humans treating infections. So can you walk us through that and how that history has inspired Q concepts to develop innovative new solutions? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Also great story. So thank you for that, Pune. I mean, we talked about treating infections with antibiotics today. But if you think about it, you know, what were people doing before that? What was happening before the invention of penicillin, you know? And the focus actually lay on preventing infections in the first place. So not only treating them, but actually preventing them. And this dates back all the way to the ancient Egyptians, sort of like 2600 BC, where they were using copper containers to store water and sterilize it in this way as well as use these kind of copper-infused solutions to sterilize chest wounds. And you have stories in the Middle Ages um, where people would gargle copper solutions against like sore throat and stuff. And, And then super exciting as well in the 1850s when you had cholera, there was this, this study that was conducted in Paris where these workers in a sort of in a copper smelter um, you know, they they worked in heat and chemicals um, to extract copper, right? And these were extremely poor working conditions. Usually mortality rates, you know, were extremely high in these places. However, when cholera broke out um, in like between 1830 and 1850, all of the 200 employees survived. Like it was basically they were immune. Wow. And then a study was made, yeah, and, and around 400 to 500 other copper workers in the area were also immune. And this was then actually related back to their profession because they were handling uh, so much copper. And yeah, so so in the 1920s, then, you know, with the invention of antibiotics, the treatment of infections became became extremely cheap, you know, so so much cheaper than focusing on the overall prevention in in that case. Um, And also other materials, you know, like plastics, uh, aluminium, stainless steel, they kind of took over and substituted, you know, copper beds, uh, doorknobs uh, in hospitals and stuff, because actually copper was used mainly before that. Yeah. So, you know, with with this antibiotic resistance on the rise, honestly, a shift is necessary, you know, back to the prevention of infections. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually gave a huge push towards this, you know, because suddenly we were being reminded to wash our hands, even though we were adults, right? We weren't kids anymore, but it was like adults were telling adults to please wash their hands (laughs) (laughs) to to prevent, you know, acquiring an infection in the first place. And yeah, I mean, Q-Concepts as part of this shift, we believe it's crucial, you know, to equip surfaces with antimicrobial properties because it really does significantly reduce the risk of infections and basically, you know, preventing them in the first place. So it's kind of like part of environmental disease control. You could see it that way. It's not the, the, the holy grail of solutions where, you, you know, if you say, okay, we've covered our surfaces, like we're, we're completely safe from anything, like that's obviously not how it works, but you can 
you know, significantly reduce risks around us. So it's an important part of any hygiene concept. So one quick question about copper in general. So like you've said, copper's had this storied past, but uh, the mechanism that you described is that it's oxidizing. So is there a lifetime for a copper vase, for example, or does it find an equilibrium? And I'm sure with enough copper, it would take years or maybe even hundreds of years to outlive its usefulness. But maybe going back to your product, is there a lifetime for a textile or a ceramic use, or is it just so much copper that it doesn't ever really get to that endpoint? Also, a really good question. Um, actually, the the lifetime is as long as the material lasts. So, if it is within a phone case or within, uh, you know, if it's a polymer fiber within textiles, then it's as long as let's say we recycled the piece of plastic or the textile, that's the, the moment where the material would lose its antimicrobial property, right? But if, if that doesn't, if you don't recycle something, let's say, and I don't know, I mean, let's say this plastic part lasts 200 years, then technically the antimicrobial effect will last the same. Wow. So the copper isn't the constraint there. It's not, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, it's this continuous sanitization essentially without really, uh, yeah, an end date. That's awesome. Interesting. And are there any other materials like you, you, you've really focused on copper. So I was just wondering if there's any other materials that have these antimicrobial properties. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, also a question. This is, let's say in the domain of our competitors, you will find a lot of nano silver based technology. So silver is um, antimicrobial, it is less efficient against viruses. So it is mainly um, used against bacterial and, and fun like fungal um, infections. Something to keep in mind here is that silver works with moisture. So if there is a dry environment, then the silver is not antimicrobial. That's super important. So it really is a great solution for a lot of applications, you know, if, if those are in water, for example, but for a lot of other things, not really. And there's um, titanium oxide, which is also used sometimes. However, it is only photoactive, right? So you would only have the antimicrobial effect during, I guess, daylight and copper also works at night. <laughs> and then you, yeah, and then there's zinc. Zinc is also being used. Zinc has mainly antibacterial effects. But since since it's a material that is, you know, found, um, let's say, in the body, and it's, it's also like, a, in a way, healthy to some extent, of course, um, that is also used in medical applications. Awesome. Well, you mentioned in a previous answer that antibiotic issues with humans can come from even the food that we consume. How can antimicrobial materials improve the safety and longevity of that food? Yeah, so the food chain is a super important application field for antimicrobials. And here, especially looking at the, let's say, the processing and packaging of food. So when you look at food processing, um, you know, you have a lot of machinery, a lot of processing surfaces involved um, that have to be continuously sanitized, right, after coming into, uh, into contact with food. So a lot of, you know, we have a lot of like costs for disinfection, usually involving a lot of chemicals um, and a lot of time, you know, being spent cleaning processing equipment, so a lot of downtime of, of machinery. Like the global food and beverage disinfection market is also a multi-billion dollar industry, believe it or not. <laughs> so the food basically gets infected before it gets packaged. 
Oh, sorry, disinfected. <laughs> um, my my bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> they use like UV um, UV ray technology for that. That's quite common. But yeah, so I mean, imagine if you would apply coatings, you know, to the services or to the machinery in in these factories, making the the or even making the plastics, you know, machinery parts antimicrobial from the start. You could reduce a lot of costs and risk, right, of infection. Because unfortunately, food processing, uh, food processing plants, even though they are heavily, you know, regulated, they are not always fully hygienic. Do you guys know Ferrero, the company? No. Wasn't that make Nutella? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Nutella. I'm allergic to nuts, so. Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, Ferrero actually, um, they like just last month, police shut down. A plant of theirs in Belgium because the factory was contaminated with salmonella. And, you know, this was right before Easter too. So they had, you know, this whole batch of chocolate for Easter and all of this had to be, you know, canceled. And I mean, yeah, the risk of these scenarios really can be significantly reduced. You know, if you would have surfaces acting like antimicrobial surfaces that act as additional environmental control basically yeah and then if you take a look at food packaging right which in i mean it is synonymous to food safety right i mean the packaging is supposed to make sure a product arrives safely at the consumer you know in the intended shape and quality so that's the role of packaging but of course it doesn't ensure that a tomato you know or or a chicken wing won't be contaminated with some sort of for uh, like foodborne disease you know, like a fungus or salmonella by the time it arrives. Um, so antimicrobial materials and packaging can actually extend shelf life of a product and, of course, reduce the risk that infections or let's say that bacteria colonies are actually formed, you know, that the environment is, um, is not friendly towards, let's say, um, a bacteria colony. So, you know, again, you can imagine when you make this, let's say, plastic film, you know, for the wrapping, Again, here you could just include the additive and then the, the packaging would end up being um, antimicrobial. Can you guys think of an idea where this would not be a good idea? Like with re regards to food? Uh, kombucha. Yeah, good one. Very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, kombucha or yogurt even, because essentially you have like probiotics, right? So active bacteria colonies and if you would then have an antimicrobial packaging, like your kombucha wouldn't, it wouldn't taste very good. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that is a limitation, right? With applications as well. But, but yeah, anyway, apart from that, you know, ideally you'll have less food going bad, less food being thrown away, less chemical ingredients in food, you know, also aimed at food conser uh, conservation. I think in the States I checked, there was like, around a million people that get salmonella per year, around like 6.5 million get the neurovirus, which is basically diarrhea. Like if you've eaten uh, yeah, some greens that you haven't washed properly or fresh fruits or something. And yeah, anyway, so in a nutshell, um, antimicrobial materials can you know, really increase food safety and long longevity along the, the chain. Uh, whilst reducing um, overall costs, but also packaging, right, for disinfection and stuff. Yeah, I have to admit, I was just at the store yesterday and just saw a bunch of kombucha, so that's why I was at the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That but, was like such a quick answer. <laughs> I was like, I know, I, I was impressed. I was like, okay. <laughs> so one question about the cleaning. So your value add of having passive cleaning is insane. And basically you can just continue to produce without ever stopping. What is the time difference? So if I put like X amount of bacteria on a surface and I do active cleaning where we take a second and disinfect and wipe it down uh, and use UV rays or whatever they would use versus copper, is the time the time for it to clean like 99% or some threshold roughly the same or for the passive cleaning, is it gonna be a little longer? And if that is, what are some of the levers that we can pull to help your passive cleaning work faster? So we actually did a kind of case in a town hall um, in Germany where we, you know, we identified high touch surfaces. So mainly door handles, yeah, door handles, handrails, uh, elevator buttons. And we basically, we chose a certain um, percentage of those that we then covered with this protective adhesive film that we have, which is it's kind of transparent and you can just stick it onto surfaces, but it contains the additive. And, you know, we kind of, um, yeah, so we installed that in some places and others we, you know, we said, just keep on cleaning like you usually would. And then after I think three months, oh yeah. And then we told them also do not touch ours. Like do not touch the ones co like co covered by, by Q concept, like by, by the film. And um, we came back three months later and we do, we do these tests with ATP meters, like AT, yeah, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically just measures like the microorganism activity on a surface by measuring the ATP. And um, yeah, it turned out that our surfaces, even though they had not been cleaned once, were cleaner than the surfaces that were being cleaned every day by normal, you know, cleaning, yeah, detergents and stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, copper continuously sanitizes while if you clean it in the morning or in the evening, you know, a surface, then it is only as clean until the next person comes by essentially and touches that surface, right? And so if you would then have to manually clean that, Technically, you'd have to, you know, run run behind every single person touching a doorknob. But if you would have the, the antimicrobial material, you'd you'd at least be sure that the um, microbes would all be deactivated on the surface. Important though is also that you can't just leave it, you know, for like years without ever once cleaning it with like some just some a cloth or water because there would be the risk that biofilm would form. So basically just a bunch of microbes on one spot. And even though they're dead, you know, if they start creating this layer, that would potentially reduce the efficiency of, of the copper ions basically doing their thing. Okay. So in addition to like public transportation or elevator buttons, just public areas, antimicrobial materials can also make an impact in uh, the medical industry. So can you talk us through what advantages like antimicrobial materials provide in this industry and maybe some interesting applications? Sure. I'm going to start with a counter question, though. So okay. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys know what nosocomial infections are? No idea. No. <laughs> okay. It's basically a fancy word for saying healthcare associated infection. 
Mm -hmm. So basically, that's just an infection that you would get when you go to hospital or some kind of healthcare facility. And so in the States, it's one in 31 hospital patients actually per day that have at least one healthcare associated infection. Um, And this costs like on average, like 40 to 50 K more per patient. Wow. No wonder our insurance is so high. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think the average is around 100K of deaths per year just for this. And, you know, depending on your general health, like health state, of course, um, you know, you're more likely to, to, to contract one or not. But yeah, let's say if you get infected with a bacteria from the escape list, you're going to have a problem. So that's not great. Um, so, so protecting surfaces in medical institutions, right? Like hospitals, but also like nursing homes is super important. Of course, you know, there's surfaces that come to mind that we basically just spoke about, like the buttons and the door handles and stuff, you know, maybe even iPads, like some hospitals use that now with, with um, patients. But there are also like a lot of medical devices that need protection. So For example, you can think of surgical equipment that, you know, like I'm not sure how to, you know, like the small braces that you can clip onto your fingers for stabilization, things like this. These are actually often 3D printed, which is also quite interesting. Just uh, just a side note, like, because we actually have antimicrobial 3D printing filaments. So this is like one of those applications where you can just make something real quick, um, you know, that will have that effect but also like personal protection equipment, you know, like gloves or masks or surgical kits, like the way you wear. If you would have textile, you know, antimicrobial, then this would reduce the risk of just transmitting infectious diseases that are airborne in the hospital, for example. Another interesting application is actually looking at how patients acquire the nosocomial infections. So the most common ones are urinary tract infections. Then you have like respiratory pneumonia and just like in general surgical site infections. So when you've had surgery, like that area will usually heal much slower. And the urinary tract infections are actually often caused by urinary um, catheters. So that's that's almost like 75% of them are caused by that because basically they sometimes allow bacteria to enter the body. And, you know, you could essentially make these antimicrobial pretty simple because it's just extrusion of a pipe right just a very small one um so you take a look i think there's like latex and silicon being used for these applications even though Puna, i think you know more about that from from in the last goal um another application would be implants so for example you know hip or knee implants um you have like the most common infection is called coangulose negative staphylococcus. It's complicated, but basically it's just, a, just an infection like within the wound of where the, the implant is connected to your, your joints. And this is usually like a huge pain for patients, but also it just costs a lot of extra money, you know? So if you could reduce that risk by adding, for example, like an antimicrobial coating on that implant, you could really increase the added value for patients as well, you know? And then there's one other sort of fun future market, which is dental, especially 3D printing of, of you know, dental um, implants. But it really depends on how the copper ions react in the mouth, because, you know, the thing is, our mouth has actually a bunch of really good bacteria, right, that help you um, preparing food, you know, for your digestion, for example. 
and you don't really want to kill those. So this is actually another little limitation um, with regards to applications, because the moment you have good bacteria that you definitely don't want to destroy, then yeah, the option the options are thin at the moment. So but yeah, that's the medical field for you. <laughs> So one quick question, I guess, is um, more related to like the sustainability side. So I think very early on in this episode, you mentioned like recyclability of materials in general. So I was just wondering, how can that be facilitated with Q Concept? Um, like what are what is your company doing to like address these challenges and continue to like improve from the sustainability standpoint? Um, yeah, so sustainability is actually an extremely important topic in our field. And it's also a way that we differentiate ourselves from most of our competition. So um, as I mentioned before, right, some of the other um, antimicrobials are nanosilver, zinc, titanium oxide. They all have their, their general disadvantages, but nanosilver in particular, you know, you know, it's really, really bad for the environment, mainly because of the size. Um, if it goes into the groundwater, um, especially owed to, you know, the nanoparticle size because it can also get into um, parts of our body that we don't really want, right? So overall, this is not something we want to be putting everywhere. And we actually use only recycled copper as a basis uh, for additives. So copper that is three to four times recycled already. We don't use any you know, toxic chemicals in the process. And the finished materials containing our additive can be recycled without a problem. So what, I, what we talked about earlier, except for the fact that afterwards they will have lost their antimicrobial effect. So yeah, and, and in order to actually increase, let's say the sustainability pillar within our, you know, our, our company, we're also working currently on, uh, on plant-based additives that have antimicrobial effects. So yeah, I can't unfortunately get too much into that. <laughs> and that's extremely exciting, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way we're trying to kind of battle this topic as well from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So one question I had on the sustainability is like we said before, is that the antimicrobial effects will last as long as plastic will last or whatever the substrate is, because we know that at least in the U S the recycling is not the best thing ever. A lot of times plastic will just lay on the side of the road, et cetera. Will basically creating a, a safer, a place for the plastic could be by not allowing like microbes or anything to help break it down. Will that lengthen plastic life at all? Like, will that be an unintended side effect from our not adequate recycling system or will it not affect the lifespan as much as uh, it might possibly? That is, uh, yeah, that's a good question because as you said, like it is at the end of the day, bacteria that sort of digest the plastic and, and break it down, right? To be very honest with you, this is not an issue that we've seen so far. So, I mean, we also work with PLA, for example, which is like a, a biodegradable material, right? And even here, it doesn't seem to kind of mess with that process. But to be very honest with you also, since this is a long-term, it's a long-term question, right? And, and from the use cases we have had thus far, this has not been an issue, but it is something that we are also looking into, like in general, just the life cycle, you know, of, of the materials that we use as well. Well, that's good that it doesn't stop it from degrading. <laughs> well, we discussed a myriad of topics today revolving around antimicrobial material solutions and why they are so vital to society. 
For any MSCs who would like to pursue a career in this industry or end up in a CEO role like you, uh, what advice would you give them based on your experiences and what you've learned along the way? I think on one hand, it depends on if you want to go only into research, so kind of remain in the technical side of things, or if you would also want to combine this with entrepreneurship, right? So either founding something yourself or actually being on the business side, sort of the innovation management of a company that is doing something like this. If you want to be more in the, let's say, scientist role, right, a bit more in the research world, I guess it's important to understand if you're a specialist or if you're a generalist. Like, I think people generally know if there's one thing that they're super passionate about, that's probably what they will do. And then others are like, uh, I kind of like a lot of things and I'm good at a lot of them and I don't know what to choose. Um, that is also a strength, right? Because we need specialists in our team, for example. You know, we have the biochemists, we have the mechanical engineers, the chemical engineers. But then what is important is to have people that are also aware of like what's going on outside of their bubble, right? Because that is actually how innovation usually happens. It's when you it's when you combine things from different disciplines, right? And you create something new. And so I guess it would be kind of my advice to actually just keep an open mind, like even if you're if you're a specialist, but also if you're a generalist, sort of focusing on things here and there, it is actually strength. So yeah, I think keeping an open mind and trying to also dive into other technology trends, you know, just out of interest that will increase not only like your horizon, but your ability to connect dots that haven't been connected yet, right? And that is super important in technology-driven firms, right? Because innovation is, is everything. It is your competitive advantage. And yeah, I guess if you would rather um, end up on the, you know, on the business side of things, so either actually founding something yourself or becoming a CEO or CTO, well, CTO is probably still very technical, but let's say the overall strategy of a, of a STEM company, I do advise you to, to definitely have some portion of your studies um, focused on business just to understand the basics, right? You don't have to become an expert at corporate finance, but you know you kind of do have to understand how it works overall. And then it would also be good if you then combine this with you know something more technical. So for example, microbiology or something, because then you will not only be able to speak on a higher level, right? On a strategic level, but you can also kind of deep dive into the topics, you know, require some specialist knowledge. And that will make you um, a much better leader because you will be able to also relate to the technical department because communication is always crucial in these situations. Yeah. Also want to encourage more women <laughs> in, in like STEM fields in general or tech in general, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you just, uh, yeah, if you have a good education and you believe in, in what you're doing, then you'll be fine, you know? So I think that's something super important for all the ladies out there to remember. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melina, for, for joining us today. I think that was wonderful advice to wrap our episode on. And we really appreciate you joining us. I learned a lot about copper and antimicrobial material solutions. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. 
So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.